I'm Jim. And I'm Emily. And we're, we're the, the Summers, Summers family. family. She works in an office. And he runs the home. Together, we're raising our four kids with an emphasis on family, adventure, and the arts. Welcome to the Summers Time Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Summers Time Podcast. And today's topic is going to be all about new baby. And big disclaimer, this does not mean that I'm pregnant. We have no kids on the horizon. But my sister just had a baby a week and a half ago, and it was her first child. We have several friends and family members who have babies on the way, or they just delivered. And so we thought it would be really fun to dedicate this podcast to my sister and their first baby and talk about all the things that we learned after having four kids and through the process and some tips and tricks along the way. Um, We know this is a space that there are a lot of opinions. So just sharing from our own perspective. So a good place to start with this, I think, is expectations versus reality, because this was the biggest learning curve for us, um, particularly me, where I set my expectations way too high for what I thought the whole new baby space would look like and what reality was. Um, so, you know, I think it's a little bit of like a type A approach versus type B. I thought... Um, when the baby was born, I was going to have all this time and I was going to read like 37 new books and I was going to cook a million new recipes and I was going to get fit and in shape and the house was going to be sparkling and amazing. And I set my agenda really, really intensely. Mm. And about like, I don't know, one day after coming home, I was definitely in tears because that wasn't reality. You can probably remember that, Jim. Yeah, there was no shred of reality there. It was quite different. You were crying. The baby was crying. <laughs> um, I was trying to do what <laughs> were, I could do to pull it together. No, I don't think I ever cried, but I I probably came close. But I will not. I will never forget that one episode where you were on the couch and you were trying to feed our son Jack. And it wasn't working that well. And he was crying because he was hungry. You were crying because you were in pain. <laughs> you were still recovering, obviously, from the birth. And I was, I just thought to myself, I have two children that I'm taking care of right now. And I don't mean that derogatorily. It was just that you were crying and Jack was crying and I wasn't expecting any of that. <laughs> so, yes, to your point, it was what you and I both, I guess, had kind of thought was going to be the reality of it was flipped. It was flipped. Now, I, having said that, I thought the hospital experience that we had was quite pleasant, I would say. I mean, other than the obvious, you know, you going through the birth and everything like that, that well, could be... Well, that, I think that's because we set our expectations very low for the hospital. We, yeah, I set we did. them too high for home, but maybe you can talk a little bit about our non-expectations that we set for the hospital and our birth plan, which didn't, didn't exist. Ex- well, we <laughs> thought it would exist, and then we threw that out the window almost quite literally. We were living in Chicago at the time, and we had the books. We were starting to read them, start to get into the mode. We were going to go visit the hospital, which I think we did that eventually. But after a month, maybe it was, of reading the books, we kind of thought that it it felt to us like there was more and correct me if I'm wrong here, there was more almost of a negative approach versus positive. Like we wanted to see like, oh, this is going to be good. And it was a lot of, well, if you do this, this is bad. And if you do that, this is bad. And and so we were just kind of starting to feel a little anxious about it on top of- I think I convinced myself we were Russian at one point, which, because I think there's some some hereditary thing that you can get based upon different 
backgrounds and like we definitely don't have any family from Russia that we know of. Like I just got really in my head and it's not just Russian. There's like a million other things that could go wrong. And we just started seeing all the negativity and the terrible things that could happen. And we were like, we're done. We cannot, we're not allowed to read these books anymore. I think we had two or three books and we, we threw them, I think into the trash can and just said, we're done. We're not doing that. And the birthing plan that we then came up with is, we're going to go into the hospital when it's time and we're going to listen to what the doctors and nurses say. And that's what we're going to do. And I wanted to be as helpful as possible, but I also knew I didn't want to be either overbearing or of no help. So um, I do remember laughing and I think everyone laughed around me, probably except for you because you were in the middle of having the baby, but um, I was standing right there. I didn't think I was going to be a part of the actual process. I thought I would be standing beside you or behind you, holding your hand at the very least or whatever. And I was going to keep my mouth quiet until spoken to. And that's when the doctor then told me that I needed to hold your leg. And I was like, do you want me to scrub in for this? Or something? I had no idea. I thought that was like something that you needed to be a professional to do. Um, I'm the oldest of six kids, and I had no idea that that's how it worked. So again, to to that point, we were just lying by the seat of our pants and listening to what the doctor and the nurses were telling us to do. And I think it actually worked out pretty well. Again, for us, we're not trying to push our opinions on anyone. We're just giving you what we did and what worked for us. I think it's a good approach for all areas of your life is managing your expectations versus reality, kind of keeping your expectations low. I think that's where Mm -hmm. a lot of frustration and disappointment can sink in. And, you know, I... I'd love to see what the statistics are on a birth plan that goes according to plan because I think it's probably pretty low. Yeah. And when you put all this work into envisioning, you know, the the perfect way that you would like it to go, it's like feels almost guaranteed that it is not going to go that way. So anyway, we kind of like very early on figured that we needed that part of it to just be what it was going to be. And we just like liberated ourselves from a plan Mm -hmm. and that worked really well. But where we or me mostly uh, didn't carry that through was for when we got home. So um, I would say with Jack, our first kid, um, I it was like a a big adjustment trying to figure out what it was like to be a stay at home mom, almost to be on maternity leave where I had been working leading up into that. And, um, you know how I structured my time. And I have to say, I was, I was really sad to drop him off, um, to the babysitter the first time. It felt like out of the routine and it was the first time you were giving them up to another person and you weren't Mm going to be together all day. But for me, when I walked through the doors of my company for the first time that day, Mm -hmm. like it was a little bit out of sight, out of mind. And I think even that, figuring out when you're going to go back to work, that was an expectation and a reality adjustment that I had to figure out too. For Jack, I took the full 12 weeks. And frankly, I think I was just kind of like in this like weird space trying to figure it all out that frankly, I almost would have benefited going back earlier with him. I know that sounds super crazy, like you should take the time, but the space that I was in at that point, I wish I would have listened to my body a little bit more and not like, cause, cause in that space, I set the expectation for you're supposed to take off for 12 weeks. You're supposed to really enjoy this time. And I found the time a little bit challenging for me. So I think like reflecting back on it, I would have tried to give myself a little bit of grace to do what was not the norm and go back when I felt ready, which was, despite the fact that it was hard to, to give him to 
another person to watch him. I do think I was probably actually ready more around 10 weeks, which is what I then did with, with our Lily. second kid. Yeah. And, and that one I felt really good about. And then. Well, there was one outlier, though, with with Jack when he was born. Um, you know, your dad was sick at that time. So you did say to me that you want to try to spend as much time as you can with him while on maternity leave. I will admit and agree with you, though, around 10 weeks, I do remember around 10 weeks of you being at home, you did start to hit that point where you're like, the next two weeks is not going to really matter. A lot of the reason I said that was because I was having a lot of anxiety about what the transition was going to be like. And the more kids that we had, like every kid was a little bit different, frankly. With Jack, I took 12 weeks. I Reflecting back on it, 10 probably would have been better. With Lily, I took 10. That felt that felt right. With Jane, I took 12, which at that time in my life, that felt really good. With Ellie, I think I took, no, I think I took 11. I don't know. Either way, I just, I kind of gave myself more grace, the more kids that we had to just do what felt right for me, not what I thought was the right thing. So Mm -hmm. suffice it to say, those are a few examples of where your expectations might be different from reality and it's okay to adjust and you don't have to do things the way that everybody says you need to do them. And you do have to have perspective that especially with kids, it's probably not going to go the way that you think it's going to go. No, I, I would even take it one step further. It's not going to go the way you want it to go. And if it does, uh, by off chance that that does happen, congrats and good for you. But if you go in with lower expectations, that sounds negative, but it really, that helped us in the hospital. And we saw what it, what happened when we had higher expectations coming home. And there was this kind of letdown that we got over. I'd say we got over pretty quickly. Um, once we, we got our groove, I, I, there's another example that I recall that you, for the, for Jack, it didn't work this way, but for the other three, you were on top of it. And that was, and I remember you saying this, getting ahead of my meds for pain control. I mean, that was part of the problem with when you were home with Jack, you were, you were in pain from healing. And you, when you started to feel, or when you had too much pain, that's when you were taking the medication instead of getting ahead of it and taking it even when you didn't as feel directed. as directed. Yeah. yeah. So that was a big part of getting over the the uh, the hump of being at home was learning how to take your pain medications the way they're supposed to be taken. Yeah, and just to put a disclaimer on that, we're not saying to do to deviate from what you're supposed to do according to your physician. The problem was yeah. that I deviated. Yes, the problem correct. was I was given instructions on how to manage the pain, and I I don't know that I was scared or maybe I wanted to be like tough and not have to use it. But then I would find myself in spaces where I was just like in you were in severe pain. Yeah. And pain for like extended periods of time when I could have been managing it and like not focusing on that, but focusing on other things. So, and uh, everyone's pain tolerance is different and everyone's approach to that is different, but that is one more example of, you know, expectations and reality. Mm -hmm. The other space where we set low expectations a little bit to go back to the hospital was we like our hospital bag was pretty light, pretty light. Well, I mean, it was heavy because there was yeah. all, all we packed was like two bottles, two bottles of wine, of wine. <laughs> a little outfit for the baby and a nightgown for me. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Cause I just stayed in my same clothes for the most part. I, mean, I think I brought like the essentials, but other than that, I mean, I, I don't know. We, that doesn't bother me that we packed light. I think that was, that's kind of how we like to live anyways. We try to pack as light as we can when we travel and, 
and whatnot. So I think there was no difference there, but it was funny the way the heaviest item or items in the bag were the bottle or two of wine. (laughs) And it does, it does um, transition well into another topic that we wanted to bring up. We've seen this trend over the years. Um, Certainly even when we were having kids, this, this was becoming more rampant and we've just seen it escalate since then is how much I wrote down shit, but how much stuff (laughs) <laughs> trying not to swear on this podcast, but how much stuff do you really need um, for a kid? They actually don't need that much stuff, but no. the industry has convinced us that we need all of these different gadgets and gizmos. So just like when we went into the hospital and we really didn't pack that much, a, a baby needs a few essentials and the rest is a bit of a luxury. And, right. and the reason why I think this is important to bring up is I actually think all of this stuff lends to some of the anxiety and frustrations that new parents can feel Mm -hmm. because you can't just go out to the store to pick something up these days. You have to have the special thing that the baby goes into in the car and the thing that transitions them from the car to the car. And the, when they're in the car, they need this thing. And if you, they might need a bottle while you're there. And so you need to bring the bottle warmer. Like there's just so many gadgets and it's more, more stuff is more to take care of. More stuff is more to think it's about. more stressful. So our recommendation would be not to like really be sensitive about the amount of things that you need. Frankly, use all that additional money and throw it into a college fund or something. You don't need that much stuff, especially even clothing. You don't need that much clothing. Yeah, they're going to have a poopy diaper and it's going to... Well, you've got a couple of blowouts here. You've got a couple of blowouts, but wash it. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Like you, you, really, and you get a bunch of onesies anyways. I mean, those things aren't really aren't that expensive, but if you've got enough onesies and diapers, you're generally pretty good to go. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that was a big point that I wanted to make sure that we made for this. Mm-hmm. Another big point for us is to continue to date your spouse. And we talked about this in another episode. Um, but maybe you can share Jim, some of the things that we did to continue staying in touch with each other throughout all of this. And I think it's really easy to be like this new baby and you're so in love with the new baby and put all of your focus and energy into the baby. But, um, we were really mindful of staying connected ourselves and not letting the, the baby cramp our style too much. Right. I mean, to your point there, we, I think, let's see, Jack was born on a Friday, I think, or a Thursday. And by that following Tuesday, we had, we were going out to dinner with some friends and you were feeling well enough to, to go out. And I certainly was fine. And, and we just put the baby right next to us in the carrier and he was a really good sleeper. I mean, all he did was sleep, poop and eat. So it really wasn't too difficult for us to continue a bit of our social life. I mean, we didn't, you know, we weren't going to clubs or anything like that, but you, know, you go out to dinner here and there, you go to, I think we went to like one movie and brought him and we just trialed that. I don't, and it worked out okay, but that's not, I wouldn't recommend that one just because oh, you never I know. Would. I well, I mean, great. just because you don't want to be the, you don't want to be those people in the theater that have a screaming child and you never know. And some, some kids, they'll stay silent through everything. Jack was one of those kids. I mean, you could... I'll I'll never forget this. I would have the vacuum going on. You know, I mean, things loud. I'd have that going right next to him. He'd be sleeping away. No big deal. Um, but some babies are probably a little less tolerant of that kind of thing. And so I I just warn against that. But I mean, yeah, we went on we went on date nights uh, with ourselves. We went out with friends. Um, I think I, we kind of figured that if. Like maybe some of that would rub off on the kid. If we had a little bit of a yeah. chill attitude, maybe the baby would be more chill. I believe if we that. Yeah. didn't feel like we had to be so structured or we didn't we didn't feel like we had to 
like you, you mentioned vacuuming around the kid, that that was okay. That would probably be good. They'd have more of a noise tolerance. That's what we thought. And I mean, that might be scientifically proven. I don't know. But it certainly worked for us because, yeah, Jack never, music could be a little loud, the vacuum could be going, and he would be sleeping. So we've been talking about all the things that we tried to maintain as like a normal lifestyle despite the new baby being born. But certainly there's a lot of new routines that happen um, and new things that you have to incorporate to, you know, how you go about your day to day. One of the things that was really interesting for us to see was the families that were really hardcore about these new routines like nap times when the baby needed to go to sleep when they need to eat? Is it every four hours? What if it's, do you wake the baby up in the middle of the night? And for us, we were, we were not that hardcore about those types of routines. Um, particularly the first couple of weeks, we were just kind of getting to know the baby and, um, figuring out our roles and just adjusting to all of that. So, um, I think that helped us. And I think that would be a recommendation that we have for you all is, um, you know, Allow yourself some time to figure out what your routines need to be. But if you're sticking really hardcore to the baby needs to eat every four hours and it needs to sleep at this time, some routine is good. And I do think kids thrive off routine, but mm-hmm. particularly in the new the newborn stages, you are going to drive yourself nuts. Right. Another thing that we've discussed is this idea of tit for tat or like 50-50. Should Jim change 50% of the diapers and I change 50% of the diapers? Like, are you really dividing everything down the center? And while that sounds ideal in theory, um, we, we actually kind of noticed that that means you're keeping a scorecard and that can create an environment of fuel for fighting. So we, as much as possible, try to just do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. We do get ensnared in it a little bit where it's like, well, I just did this. Um, or you want credit for something that you did. But that's that's not a winnable game, frankly. Um, I know my grandfather, he always joked around about how he never changed a diaper. <laughs> We know a few. He said he like did that. one. He said he changed one. Oh yeah, he changed one, but he got it. He it got was like it wrong. A cloth diaper, and, was... and he poked the baby. Yeah, and it <laughs> didn't really work out. Mind. But then he was pretty proud of the fact that he never had to do it again. Yeah, if I recall. Yeah, and so it's kind of neat to see how involved Jim has been with the kids and how different that is from other generations. But despite all of that, I think keeping a scorecard is detrimental to your relationship. It's probably not good to do that in anything with your relationship, you know, new baby or or kids or not, just you're a team. So play like a team. Don't try to to win. I know that I'll take the heat for that one. I've been more of in the past, I've been more of the one who has done that occasionally. And I'm I feel like I've done something, so I need you to be I need you to have the the equal, the comparison of that. And <clears throat> it doesn't work out. The one thing I, I remember that I did do, and it's because you requested this, and so this is not really a, a 50-50 tit-for-tat type of thing. It was that um, after Jack was circumcised, you said, I don't want to change the diapers. That's too like traumatic for me. I remember that. I said, all right, I'll do it. Because there was a process, you know, because it was a wound. And and I, I know that just kind of bothered you off the top. So for the first two weeks, I think I did change all the diapers. But that was because you requested that I do that based on him 
having I, that surgery. I got payback for that, as you may recall, though. You One did. One of the first diapers that I did wind up changing. I was on the phone. Was horrific. Yeah. And I was on the phone with a colleague. I was working from home and I wanted to warn you, you're sitting in the wrong spot, well, but I couldn't. I was sitting downstream. So like. Oh, boy. <laughs> like his, his like this was I was right, sitting at, the, at, his, the, at his feet. Basically, I was yeah. I was sitting on his feet. <laughs> you never did that again. <laughs> and he was on the floor, and yeah, you were you were directly like in my line of vision, and you were talking to a colleague, and I'm changing his diaper. And I think I could tell that you were like hovering, like yeah, I think I you was... wanted to say something, but you were on the phone, right? But I was just like do do do. So I'm changing him, and everyone talks about baby boys and how they pee all over everything but no our baby boy crapped crapped all over the christmas tree <laughs> he launched and you his his um i i mean it just Poop. it went over my shoulder <laughs> yeah and it was hanging <laughs> off the christmas tree and it was hanging off the christmas tree is i terrible. mean mind you he was like two weeks old so i mean we're talking like he had a blowout while you were changing him yeah yeah and as they do i mean we as all they know do babies just make the most powerful their systems are like, top notch at that point. They're working baby, well. That's yeah. not limited to that one kid of ours that had, you know, all babies have that power within that, them. <laughs> yeah, certainly within the first month but, of life. <laughs> and that was about two weeks in, maybe that three was weeks. the funniest thing. Oh my gosh, it was horrible. I mean, I could go on to be more descriptive, but you'd all be barfing. So. Yeah, we don't need to get that much into it. But I think the lesson learned there was that you never sat in front of him like that again. You always changed him from the side, which is where you should probably, and everyone should change babies. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, through it all, we were still really active. Obviously, like in that instance, the the thing that I had been doing right after changing the baby's diaper was going out with a friend for lunch. And I think that's important is to, you know, continue, continue to do things that fill yourself up. So, you know, on a day-to-day basis, shower, do your hair, you know, uh, give yourself some grace, definitely, that it's not all going to go the way you want it to. But right. as much as you can feel like you're a human being and that you're taking care of yourself, you're going to be able to give more to your kids kids, husband, whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's okay to need to focus on yourself. And I think you should as a, you know, a woman who's just gone through nine months of pregnancy and now having a newborn and nurturing and mothering and feeding, like, yeah, try to take some time for yourself as well, which then requires dear old dad to step in and help out. So <laughs> for all you dads out there, make sure that you're doing your part. I know that sounds preachy and I don't want it to sound preachy, but if you do your part and you guys work as a team, everything will be good. I've had a lot of people ask me which kid did I feel was the hardest to get adjusted to. And I really think it was the first because I think you're trying to figure out what your roles are going to be. Every kid after that kind of seems to be like just an addition. And one thing that does help is the more kids you have, the more kids you have to help play and take care of the other kids. Down the road, uh, off the bat, that's still, if they're too young, it's still kind of a handful. But at least if you're going from two to three, you're, well, I'm sorry, from one to two, I've heard this joke, from one to two, it's man-to-man coverage. From two to three and more, it's zone coverage for any of you football fanatics out there. Um, and But you're right, once they get a little bit older, the ability for them to help you out becomes obvious. And, and I think you should do that. Let them or make them help you with things. It'll just work out better for everyone. You do have to realize, though, that when they are young, like you were just saying, 
they're going to ask for so much juice. They're going to ask for so many things. When they're it's, young, they're yeah. still asking for I mean, for yeah, they're still asking for it. So oh, um, we actually got a piece of advice that I thought was one of the best. As the kids get older, you have to do things to encourage them to be independent. And a lot of times you can just go through the motions of they ask for something or they look like they need something. And so you're constantly like placating, giving them what they need. But you have to push yourself to think of ways that they can become more independent. So certainly this isn't necessarily for a newborn, but if you're having, you know, your second or your third kid and you maybe have an older kid, start putting juice on the bottom shelf or a drink that they're allowed to have or a snack that they're allowed that to they're have. They're able to get themselves. Yeah, on the bottom shelf of the refrigerator so they can take care of that and you can focus on other things. Like, I mean, I got to go back to the business world, like delegate. <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely right. That's that's the, the word that I was looking for earlier is just delegate jobs to your kids and allow them to be creative and, and exploratory and let them figure things out for themselves. Because if you're on kid four, which we were, or kid three even, the, the other kids are going to need, you know, they're going to need things to do because you've got to focus on the, the newborn and the things that you need to do there. Because once you have kid one or kid 10, you still have to do the same things for the, when they're a newborn. And so to have the other kids occupied and doing their own things, it's certainly helpful. I did want to touch on daycare because I know that this plagued us for a while with figuring out where you send a kid. And I wanted to just put this out there that, um, you know, we, we had our kids go to a woman's home who was amazing and is, we consider her a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of ways that you can, um, have your kids taken care of, whether it's in a business daycare or in someone else's home, or Mm -hmm. you've got a situation like us where you've got one of the uh, spouses or the parents staying at home. Um, But I have heard a lot of guilt come with sending your kid to a daycare. And I just want to say like, kids are resilient. And I think that there's a lot of positives with any place that you send your kid. They'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. Like don't put that much stress on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. I think even in a daycare, like you have so many friends to play with. You're learning so much. There's so much attention that's given to the kids, so many opportunities to learn how to play and mingle with others. Like that is such a, a a benefit that I think comes with that. So Mm. whatever, whatever route you're thinking of taking, um, just make a decision and see what comes from the decision. And if you have to adjust, you have to adjust, but don't feel bad about putting a stake in the ground, making a decision and seeing how it goes. Your kid is, your kid's going to be okay. Well, and we were forced to to do that as well from the get go. When you were still pregnant with Jack, we had initially thought your dad was going to be the one to watch at least Jack. And then maybe the other kids down the road, but once we realized and once he realized he wasn't going to be able to do that, he actually was the one who reached out to this woman who was our caregiver and it worked out for us and we adjusted and it wasn't in our initial plan. Our initial plan was to have your dad. And so that was a little heartbreaking because we weren't going to have him watching the kids. But then this new thing came along, it worked out and now it's it's been wonderful. So to your point, you know, don't put so much pressure on, oh, is this going to be the best situation possible? Because it may be the best and it may not be. And you just have to be able to adapt from there and you know, make it the best you can. And that also goes for really anything where you might be stressed out about other people's opinions or um, really goes back even into the beginning of this podcast. There's a lot of similarities to the daycare conversation and 
any type of opinions that you may think other people have, or maybe they're even telling you that you should be doing X, Y, and Z. It goes back to the beginning of the podcast where we were talking about expectations that you set on yourself or other people are setting for you. There's so many things that you can stress out about. Should you be breastfeeding? Should you use formula? Which formula should you use? When should you be introducing foods? Between the span of our four kids, the opinions from the from doctors, the doctor opinion on when to give your kids peanut butter and eggs completely mm. shifted um, the age range. So there's just there's there's so many opinions that are out there. So I really think, you know, it's something that we wanted to end this podcast on is stay your course. Just do what you think is right. If you don't know what's right, you know, do a little bit of research, ask some people that you trust and stand behind what you're doing. You can always make some adjustments, um, but you're doing a good job. Keep reminding yourself that you're doing a good job. And if you, you have to be really careful about maybe having a little bit more time on your hands when you're at home. And I don't mean that from like, you're twiddling your thumbs, you're not doing anything, but your, your scope of like, the you, the people you're interacting with, the places that you're going might become a little bit smaller. And for me, I found that that gave me more opportunities to freak out about things. And if you can get control of your mind as much as possible and just have confidence that you're doing a good job and be okay with maybe making a few decisions that you would do differently um, when you reflect back on it, just um, you know, make the best decisions possible, stand behind that and re- try really hard not to let other people's opinions get in front of that. Parting words, keep it simple as much as possible. Keep it simple. Yep. So I think that'll about wrap it up for this episode. Make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast on any and all major podcast platforms and give us a follow on Facebook. And uh, thanks so much. Yeah.